take your Bibles out this morning, and if you would please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to do something a little differently today than I normally do on Palm Sunday. Generally on Palm Sunday, I preach one of the traditional Palm Sunday texts where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they were spreading the garments and saying, Hallelujah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, we know it was that same crowd that by the end of the week, what were they shouting? Crucify him, crucify him. Normally, we look at those texts. This morning, we're going to back up. And I want us to think more in terms of, as we, as we think about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what difference should that make in your and my day-to-day living, in our day-to-day decisions? Are we about the business of priority living? And so I want us to look at that this morning from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. And we'll read down through verse 24. Again, the subject matter, priority living. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You need to underscore that verse, okay? Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord, this week as we think of the importance of the events of this week, what this week symbolizes in Christianity. God, I pray that you would give us a unique ability this morning to look with eyes of introspection, to examine our own minds and hearts and lives as to what difference the life of Jesus has made in us. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are we new in Christ? Do our lives reflect that? Lord, bring encouragement, but also bring change where change is in order. And may it be to your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, the Charlotte Observer carried an article, Richer But Not Happier. Perhaps you read that article, Richer 
but not happier. The article was devoted to telling the story and the outcome of the rising tide of affluence in America. One part of the article said, and I quote, the average size of a new home in America has expanded from what it used to be a few decades back of 1,500 square feet for a normal-sized family to now more than 2,200 square feet. The average number of cars has gone from one car for every two drivers over age 16 to an average of one car for every driver over age 16. The number of Americans taking cruises has gone up from a half a million to now seven million. Recreation vehicles that are purchased every year have gone from 30,000 to now a quarter of a million. We're now attending more symphonies, more plays, concerts, and sporting events than ever. And buying more boats and computers and electronics and various gadgetry. But are we happier as a society? Dr. Robert Lane, a professor at Yale University, points to a rising tide of clinical depression, increasing distrust of other people and of institutions, erosion of family ties and friendships. Conservative activist William Bennett said, the nation we live in today is more violent and vulgar rude and remorseless, deviant and depressed than the, once we, than the one we once inhabited only a generation ago. Stress tends to increase with income levels. Now, I found this interesting in the article. An investment strategist for Payne Weber said, more money means more consumption, and more consumption means more stress about purchasing, transporting, insuring, using, storing, cleaning, repairing, and discarding goods. The article closed by telling how some Americans now are trying to simplify their lives and purposely scale down. Folks, by the very nature of the world we live in, we know that we are things-oriented. We have to have a certain number of things just to exist and function in the everyday world. And so consequently, we end up paying a great deal of time and attention to these things. But it's interesting what's happening in 1900, the year 1900. A group did a survey and asked people in America, how many things do you need in your life? And the number was 72. 72 things in your day-to-day -day existence. They turned around 50 years later in 1950, did the same survey. The number had jumped up to people saying they needed, at bare minimum, 496 things. I wonder what they would say today in 2015. 
Let's look at Matthew 6 this morning. For here, Jesus tells us about priority living. Now, as I mentioned, this is not the typical Palm Sunday text I traditionally preach. But I want us to think about the overall message of the Easter season. What effect should the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have on us as believers? What kind of difference should it make in a believer's life? What should be the lifestyle and the attitude of a follower of Jesus Christ? That's what I want us to look at today. And we're going to see three things. Jesus is admonishing us to have, number one, a solitary treasure, number two, a selective vision, and number three, a single master. First of all, look with me at a solitary treasure. Read again, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there." will your heart be also. Don't lay up your treasures on this earth. Verse 19, a literal translation of it would be, don't treasure up treasure on this earth. Don't treasure up treasure on this earth. Dr. Ron Blue, a financial specialist, some of you have perhaps read some of his material. He tells the story of visiting a small rural village in Africa. He asked a native there, the tribal leader, uh, what was the biggest problem facing his village? To Ron Blue's shock, the man responded, materialism. Ron said he was stunned. He thought it would be a lack of food or a lack of clean drinking water or the need for doctors or perhaps war with neighboring tribes and villages. How in the world could it be materialism? After all, these villagers didn't have cars. They don't have television sets. They don't have satellite dishes. Many of them don't even, quite frankly, have homes. But the tribal chief said to Ron, if a man has a mud hut, he wants a hut instead made out of cow manure. Now, boy, there's an ambition for you, isn't it? A hut made out of cow manure. If he has one of cow manure, he said he wants it made out of stones. If he has a thatch roof, he wants a tin roof. If he has one acre, he wants two acres. And then he said this. He said materialism is a disease of the heart. It has nothing to do with where you live or how much you own. Now let's talk about this a minute. Is Jesus here in this text advocating that every single one of us in here this morning... Go and sell everything that we have, give everything away, and essentially become paupers and become homeless beggars on the street. Is that what he's advocating? Absolutely not. 
In fact, you look at Scripture, and there was only one gentleman in the Scripture that Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have, the rich young ruler. And the reason Jesus told that man that is because he was an idolater. He was putting his trust in what he owned and what he had accomplished in life. And Jesus knew as long as that man hung on to all of those things, he would not be a successful follower of his. And so he's the only one that he said, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Actually, both the Old and New Testament alike speak of the right of ownership. The right to material possessions, including money and and land and animals and houses and clothing and, and everything else that is honestly acquired. We even find in the Old Testament, at least, that God made many promises of material blessing to Israel if they obeyed Him. Now, we know the charismatic health and wealth gospel guys today have just gotten outlandish with that one. But nonetheless, in the Old Testament, God did promise Israel some material blessings. In the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 6.17, the Bible says that God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. The Bible records for us characters who were very wealthy for men and women of their day. I think of Abraham, a man who was called the friend of God. And yet you read the book of Genesis and Abraham had wealth that was equal to some of the powerful Canaanite kings around him. And then there was Job. As the book of Job opens up, it tells us that Job was one of the wealthiest men of the East. Now, God allowed Job to lose everything that he had. God was testing him or allowing him to be tested. But in the long run, God gave him everything back and then more. But Bible characters like that, we could name others. The Bible also talks about the need to work hard and save for the future. In the book of Proverbs, the ant is given as an illustration of hard work. Saving up for the future. And it points out that those who don't do that are condemned as being lazy and worthless. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians that it's the responsibility of parents to lay up in stores, save up for their children. And so obviously Jesus is not condemning wealth or money in and of itself. Well, what then is Jesus cautioning against? He's telling us that we need to guard against allowing things to become the essence of our very lives. Remember what John said in 1 John 2.15? Love not the world nor the things of the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on to remind us there that everything in the world and the world itself one of these days is going to pass away. But he who does the will of God will endure forever. Folks, it is one thing to own possessions, but it is another thing to let your possessions own you. Some of you know the name W.A. Criswell, very famous pastor, gone home to be with the Lord, pastored that historic First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for more than 50 years. 
W.A. says one day he got a call to participate in the funeral of a very wealthy man in the community, a man who loved his possessions. W.A. said he witnessed something at the gravesite he had never seen before. This man wanted to be buried in his brand new shiny Cadillac. And so he had bought a number of gravesites And they had a big crane there. They loaded the man's body into the Cadillac. And W.A. said they they lowered the Cadillac down into the grave and covered it up. And as they did so, a man in the crowd shouted out, Now, boy, that's really living, isn't it? (laughs) If your life has become simply a matter of making a living so you can enjoy all of your stuff, then you've missed the point of life. Any Presbyterian worth his salt can tell you what the purpose of life is. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Those who don't know God have have missed the central truth of the universe. God said through Jeremiah the prophet, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Jesus said in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. On the other hand, if materialism is what life is all about, then your life isn't going to be worth much. Because look at what Jesus said here in verse 19 that happens to all this stuff. The second phrase in verse 19 says, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's what's going to happen to all of my stuff and all of your stuff. For the typical Jew, their wealth back then would have been defined mainly by three things. Number one, by their wardrobes. Some of them had very lavish wardrobes. Secondly, the amount of grain that they were able to accumulate, their crops. And thirdly, gold, like gold coins. So you, here you can see the typical wealthy Jewish man. He comes home one day and he's got a special event he's going to go to that night. And so he walks into his bedroom over to his clothing closet and he opens it up. He's going to get out one of his very best regal robes and he pulls it off the hanger and he holds it up and the moths have eaten it up and destroyed it. He goes out the next morning to his his fields and he opens up his barn and there's hundreds of rodents eating this grain. He comes home one day, opens the front door of his house and and remember earthen walls back then, stone and earthen walls. So as he opens the front door, he sees uh, light beaming through and and his attention is called to the back wall and he sees that somebody has, has dug a big hole through the back wall. Thieves have visited his home. And so he runs over to his bed and he pulls out his treasure chest under his bed and opens it up and all his storage of gold coins is gone and his heart sinks. That's what happens to things in the world. The pain of that new car fades, doesn't it? 
When you got that new car, that new truck, and you went to Walmart, where did you park? You probably parked in an out-of-the-way spot, and you walked further to the door. You parked way back where nobody else was parked around you, right? Then time goes by, and you come out of Walmart or Harris Teeter or Food Line or wherever, and somebody has opened a car door on the side of yours, and you got a big old ding in it. Or somebody's keyed the side of it. Just yesterday, down here at the intersection at Pitskill Road in 29, a guy pulled up next to me in the turn lane in a, in a shiny Dodge pickup. And boy, he must have made some girlfriend angry. <laughs> because all down the side of it, somebody had keyed his truck. I mean, they had just made a mess out of his paint. I wondered, what did he do to her? <laughs> Jesus says that this is the way the things of the world are. They don't last. Their beauty fades. Melinda's 24 years old now. Soon be 25. Man, how time marches on. I remember when she turned 16. Between all the school events and church events and clubs and uh, the, the school clubs and all the, uh, her work and all that, Connie and I, were, we were running a taxi service on the go all the time. Some of you parents have been there. So my mother-in-law came along and wanted to buy her granddaughter a car. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. The mother-in-law buying, buying her a car. So that's what she did. She wanted a black Volkswagen Beetle. First mistake, you don't own a German car. A German car owns you. You better have a mechanic on speed dial. One day I ran home from a funeral here and was changing real quick, get back up here. I, I run in the door. And I mean, I'm only inside just, just a few minutes. Well, in the meantime, she had moved her car out right in behind mine, turned it sideways, and, and she was out there near the, near the hose washing it. And I wasn't paying any attention. And she'd stepped away from the car. I, I flew back out, jumped in the car, and the way the driveway kind of curves there, I'm paying attention to the basketball goal on one side of my car the skateboard ramp on the other side, then I gun it past him and wham, I T-bone the side of that new car. Needless to say, I didn't get the Daddy of the Year award that, that year. <laughs> Tore up her new car. She only had it a couple of days. That's when I called David Fink. <laughs> Just like your own beauty fades. Have any of you been noticing in the mirror lately some extra lines in the faces? And like me, you're wondering where the where, where's the time going? Where are the years going? It's beginning to tell even on your body. Boy, don't you know it's going to be a funny sight? One of the, the latest craze going on now. And, you know, it seems like everybody's got a tattoo. Don't you know as they age and as they gain weight and lose weight and skin wrinkles, boy, don't you know there's going to be some wild-looking images one of these days. <laughs> In the early service, Ernie Davis, you got to know Ernie Davis, kind of a country fella, and 
He was playing a couple of years ago at our Valentine banquet. He plays guitar and he stops and kind of does some stand-up comedy. And he says, Cousin Betty, she's a spiritual one in my family. So she decided she is going to have a tattoo of the Lord's Supper put on her midriff. He said, as the years went by, Cousin Betty commenced to gain in some weight. And as she gained weight, them fellas at the table, they start having more and more space between them. <laughs> and so Cousin Betty decided she better go back to the tattoo artist and have him fill in some more characters there. He said, he said now her midriff doesn't look like the Lord's Supper anymore with the 12 disciples. It looks more like the Sunday buffet at K&W. <laughs> What a wonderful illustration in the world and in our own flesh. God gives us every day that this world is passing away. It's fading. No wonder Moses said in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. Time is passing on. Folks, we were created for eternity and nothing on this earth can fill the need that we have inside to know God. You know what? There's something pathetic, something sad about a man who is created for a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe who's trying to instead fill that void in his heart with the cheap little things of the world. Something sad about that. Jesus says that we're to lay up our treasure in heaven there in verse 20. He's redirecting our passions. You see, man is going to have a passion. He's going to spend his, his time and energies on something. And so Jesus is saying here, why not spend your energies on that which will never fade? Make a wise investment. Invest in heaven. The things of heaven. Treasure in heaven will be there for all of eternity. There are no thieves in heaven. There's no rust. There's no fading beauty. There are no insects eating up your clothes or anything else. And verse 21 gives the clincher because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you value in your life, those are the things that you're going to pursue. You see, it's a matter of the heart. If your ambition is to pursue wealth, you'll never have enough. Howard Hughes, one of the wealthiest men of his day, somebody asked him on one occasion, Howard, how much more do you need? He said, just a little bit more. The Jewish rabbis had a saying that he who desires the treasures of this earth or like a man dying of thirst who goes to the ocean and drinks the ocean water. The more he drinks, the thirstier he is. And so the more he drinks and he keeps drinking the ocean water until eventually he dies. Second thing Jesus said we need for priority living. A selective vision. A selective vision. 
Beginning there in verse 22, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here Jesus is pointing out the things that make an impact on your mind. They have to do with your perceptions, your understanding of life. They, they affect the way you look at life. And he uses the analogy of the human eye. The eye is like a window to your heart and soul that lets the light in. The amount of light that gets in through your eye is directly related to the condition of your eye, the health of your eye. If your eye is single or healthy or clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is evil or bad or cloudy, your whole body is full of darkness. And so the message is very clear. A selective eye is a healthy eye. This is the person who has his life in order. He sees things from Christ's perspective. And he orders his life accordingly. How does God want me to approach the things of the world? How does God want me spending my money and, and investing my time? How does God want me using my energies and passions in life? And the result is his whole life is positively impacted by the, by the selective vision, the single eye. And then secondly, Jesus describes here an evil eye that is a cloudy eye. This is a person who's not really in tune with God. He may claim to be, but if you look at his life very closely, he's materially minded. He's worldly. His vision is nearsighted. It's cloudy. He's lost the true meaning of life. And because of that, his decisions are going to be upside down. Here's a 35-year-old man. Let's say he's a banker. Doing well in his career. Comes home one day. Nice home. Nice automobiles. Nice children. And he, and he says to his wife, Honey, God's been working in my life. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has called me into the ministry. Or he's called us to a life of missions. She says, What are we going to do about it? He says, absolutely nothing. We can't afford to make any changes now. Or the man climbing the ladder, doing quite well. He begins calling the wife. I'll be an hour late getting home. Then two hours. He calls her one day and says, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 10, 11 o'clock getting home tonight. She says, Honey, don't you know today's your son's birthday and you promised him tonight you were carrying him to that game. Well, I don't have time for that anymore. Besides, don't y'all know I'm doing all this for you anyway? Kids grow up, don't even come around to see him anymore. He and his wife have grown apart. Nearsighted. Where did it all begin? Things of the world are like that, aren't they? They, they cloud our vision. They, they, have, they have the tendency of blinding us to what really matters. We mean well in life, and I believe that, that we mean well in life, but somewhere we get off course. 
Folks, the whole time we look at life from man's perspective, we're walking around in the dark. The sad thing is we think we're walking in the light. But when we allow God to take control, be the Lord of our life, then we start looking at life from His perspective. And we see how foolish, how utterly foolish we've been. Have a single eye. Don't give your eye to anything and everything. Be selective. The Apostle Paul learned this. Remember what he said by way of personal testimony to the Philippians in Philippians 3. He said, all of those things that I once considered gained to me. That big resume that he had accumulated for himself. He said, now I consider all these things as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. He said, now I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. His vision changed. Third thing Jesus says we need here is a a single master. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may think that you can serve the things of this world. You may think that you can treasure up treasure on this earth and also treasure up treasure in heaven. But folks, the Lord Jesus says we can't do it. You can't, and I can't. Are you living for the purpose for which God created you? You see, you have a life's purpose. God created you and me both with a definite purpose in mind. Are we fulfilling that? Are you content? Are you satisfied? Are you at a point right now that if God called you to leave everything behind and follow him and go somewhere Would you be willing to do that? If not, then I want you to think about something. You're an idolater. If not, if God called you and you knew that God had called you to follow him and you said, no, I can't because all this stuff, what would that mean? Essentially, that would mean that we were playing the part of an idolater. What kind of building materials are we sending on up ahead? I want to appeal to you today, whatever you and I need to do to to get carried away in priority living and, and to do life right the way the Lord would have us to do, what's going to be involved in that? And I want to suggest six things real quick. Number one, I want to ask you a question. Are you at peace with God? Now, there's only one way to be at peace with God, and that's through Christ. And that's what we celebrate this week at Easter. That on a cruel, rugged cross, Christ bridged the gap between heaven and earth, between God and man. Only Christ opens the door to the Father. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? I didn't say, are you a member of a church? Uh, if you're born again, I hope you are a member of a church. But I'm not, that's not the question. The question is, have you, been, have you been born again? Do you know Christ? 
You see, the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. We, we, we are separated from a holy God. We're, we're alienated from Him. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned against God. They thought something wonderful was going to happen by going their own way. It, wasn't, it didn't turn out wonderful at all. They found themselves separated from God. That's what sin does to us. There's only one way to be right with God, and that's through Christ. Have you been born again as the Spirit of the living God ever got a hold of your heart and convicted you of your sin and, and showed you your need of Christ and drew you to Christ and you were born again? You were born from above the spiritual birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about and your life was changed. You became a new creation in Christ. If that's happened, the Bible says you're at peace with God. If it hasn't happened, you're still estranged from God. The journey needs to begin right there in priority living, getting right with Christ. Second thing, be quick to respond to the voice of God and whatever He tells you to do, obey Him. Scripture says today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. I think of Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Remember, God had said to Saul, because of the way the Amalekites had treated the people of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness, God said to Saul, you're to, you're to wipe out all the Amalekites, everything. Don't save anything. And Saul got his troops together, and that's what they went to do. And when they, when they fought against the Amalekites, you remember what they did? They ended up saving the best of everything the Amalekites had. And Saul had this reasoning, well, if I save everything, you know what? That can be an offering to the Lord, a burnt offering. Samuel showed up on the scene. Saul says, Samuel, great to see you. Have you considered what I've done? How I've obeyed the voice of the Lord? And Samuel said, oh, really? Then what is that bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen I hear in my ears? Oh, we're going to save all that stuff and sacrifice it to the Lord. And Samuel said, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. He said, Saul, the Lord appeared to me and said that he was sorry that he had made you king because you won't obey him. So he's going to remove you and put another one in your place who will obey God. Obedience. Thirdly, serving the Lord. Jesus said in John 12, He who serves me, him will my Father honor. Lose yourself in the Lord's work. And folks, let's get practical about that. How do, you, how do we mainly serve the Lord today in today's world? You do so through the local church. 
What did Jesus say to his disciples that he was going to build? He said, I will build my church. The church is the bride of Christ. He loves the bride of Christ. What's your attitude toward the church, the bride of Christ? The Bible says he's given every single one of us at least one spiritual gift. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, among other places. One's a hand, one's a foot, one's an eye, one's an ear, one's a mouth. All kind of different roles. And you put all the different parts of the body together and you have a complete body that is able to function well and carry out ministry. But if you have people who, who are a hand and they drop out or, or, or don't, don't, uh, don't do their role or you have somebody over here who doesn't, then you have a maimed body, a crippled body, and it affects the ministry of the whole. Are you serving the Lord through the church? Do you know what your gift is? Are you developing it? Have you discovered it? Are you developing it? And are you deploying it? Are you using it? Hebrews 10 says, as part of this, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as, the, as is the habit of some, that we're to meet together and we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds and all the more as you see the day approaching. Faithful attendance. I'd say to you, if you're a visitor with us this morning and you live in a different place, you couldn't be a member, you live somewhere else and you're here this morning because you're visiting or a friend or a family. Wherever you live, you too, you need to find you a Bible-believing church and you need to join there and you need to get involved and you need to start serving. Faithful attendance, serving. Again, Jesus said, he who serves me, him will my father honor. Serving the Lord. Fifth, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Obviously, financially, but in, in every way. Out of our research, everything. Malachi 3, God speaks of that. It's called the tithe. 10% of everything God allows me to make is to be returned to Him. I get to keep the 90%. Now, I'm going to use the 90% to glorify Him too. But 10% is His, not even mine. Bible calls it the tithe. One lady died and went to heaven. She was a vastly wealthy lady on the earth. She had a maid. She got to heaven. The Lord was showing her around heaven. They came to a big old mansion. She thought, surely this is my place. And the Lord said, no, your maid lives here. Went down the golden paved road and got to a, just a modest place. And he said, here's your home. She said, I don't understand. The Lord said, oh, you see, your maid, she sent the building materials on up ahead. Are you sending building materials on up ahead? Are you being rich toward God with your life? Sixth, win people to the Lord. Proverbs 11.31 says, He that winneth souls is wise. You ever share your faith? Do you ever share your testimony? Do you ever sow the seed of the Word of God to the lost and help somebody to come to faith in Christ? So all of those things. 
Are you at peace with God? Are you obedient? Are you serving the Lord? Are you faithful in your attendance? Are you rich toward God? And are you winning people to the Lord? Are you seeking a life, a great commission life? Folks, there's a lot more things we could mention in that. But when I think of what the New Testament says about the Christian life, those are just... Those are just some basics. That ought to be just normal Christianity. Just normal basic stuff. But you know what? It's so easy to get off course, isn't it? So easy to get off course. And it can be detrimental to our future. George Wood writes that on October 31st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 departed from Anchorage, Alaska for a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. Now, unknown to the crew, the computer setting the navigation, the the journey was off by one degree, one degree. When they took off, It wasn't even noticed. 100 miles out, wasn't even noticed. But as the giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and out over the Pacific, the plane increasingly strayed from its proper course. Remember, it had only started one degree off course. That's all. Eventually, it had strayed to the point that it was over Soviet airspace. It was still the Soviet Union then. Soviet radar picked up the air. Fighter jets scrambled into the air to to intercept the 747. Over mainland Russia, the jets, the fighter jets shot flight 007 out of the sky and every single person on board lost their lives. Some of you remember that in the news. What started out just a little deviation ended up deadly. So easy to get off course. So easy. But think of the cost down the road. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, think of the cost to your family down the road, the impact If there's disobedience in your life or a lack of priority living for the things of the Lord, if that's the way you're leading your family and and people around you, think of the impact that might have. Be faithful. Be obedient. See what God can do. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. As you do so, I want to return to that question of whether you're at peace with God or not. You know, it would be a shame to go through another Easter season. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart lately, convicting you of your sin, drawing you to Christ, and you go through another Easter season without confessing Him before men. That'd be such a huge tragedy. What are you waiting on? Is today the day you need to come forward and say, I'm following Christ. I'll pray with you. Maybe today's the day you need to make that decision for a new church home. We'll be happy to receive you. 
Are you living life in light of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How does Jesus Christ affect your everyday living? What difference has your faith in Him made in your life? If becoming a Christian means becoming a new creation, then how is your life different? Because if you're new and have been moved from darkness to light, from alienation with God to peace with God, there ought to be a difference. Are you investing your life in the things of the Lord? That if Jesus called you home today, you would meet him at the Bema seat of Christ and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, speak to our hearts. Again, I pray that each one of us would be honest with how we're living our lives. Are we engaged in priority living? Are we passionate about what you're passionate about? Or have we gotten off even just a small degree in going down our own path? Lord, speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.